Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. May I ask, how much thought have you given to your fathering legacy? If you're like I was when first asked this question, your answer is probably not very much. No matter what stage of life we're in, we're probably too busy doing what we need to get done this week to think much about something as nebulous and far away as my fathering legacy. Yet, whether you are on the front end of adulthood or adding great-grandchildren to your tribe, it's worth considering how we can make the most strategic investment of ourselves to build a godly heritage because God himself underscores the importance of the spiritual heritage we are to pass on. This episode examines the importance of building a godly fathering legacy and identifies a few practical suggestions for how to do it. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 33 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. Several years ago, I was sitting in a Great Dad seminar when the speaker read from Exodus 20, I, the Lord your God, visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but show steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He remarked, a father can send the darkness of sin down through the next four generations or send the light of God's truth down to his descendants. He then pointed to two historic examples of these two contrasting choices. In 1874, a man named Richard Dugdale was employed by the New York Prison Commission to visit the state prisons. As he visited, he was surprised to find criminals in six different prisons that were all descended from the same family. This led Mr. Dugdale to an exhaustive study of 1,200 people who were the progeny of a man to whom he gave the fictitious name Max Jukes. Dugdale compiled this list of Max Jukes' descendants using the terminology for moral evaluation in his day. He said 310 of the 1,200 were professional paupers, begging others for handouts instead of earning their living, more than one in four. 300 of the 1,200, one in four, died in infancy from lack of protective care and healthy conditions. Fifty of the women lived lives of notorious debauchery. Seven were murderers. Sixty were habitual thieves who spent on the average 12 years each in crime. 130 were criminals who were convicted in some way of crime. A generation later, a researcher named A.W. Winship compiled records of the descendants of Jonathan Edwards, a busy author, theologian, pastor, and president of Princeton Seminary. Winship compiled a list of Edwards' descendants and then decided to contrast the list to the descendants of Max Jukes, whoever Max Jukes really was. He put this information into a book, Jukes Edwards, A Study in Education and Heredity, which was published in 1900. In the legacy of Jonathan Edwards are one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, 
three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, I don't know if that's good or bad, just kidding, 100 missionaries, pastors, or theologians. Here's the point, though. This did not happen just because Jonathan Edwards was a Christian or because he was a brilliant Christian thinker. Lots of Christians and great theologians, brilliant thinkers, have families that are a mess with their kids wanting nothing to do with Christ or Christianity. What was Edwards' secret? He was very intentional. He was devoted not to just being a spiritual hero himself, he wouldn't use those terms, of course, but being a hero maker of his children. Every evening before dinner, busy Jonathan Edwards gave all 11 of his children his full attention for one hour to build biblical thinking into their hearts. Understanding that leadership is influence, when he could, he took one of his children with him whenever he traveled, building his relationship with that one who was with him. When Jonathan Edwards died, his wife Sarah's immediate comment to her daughter was, Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. God's intention is for every Christian father to build a godly spiritual heritage that he passes on to his descendants. Let's do an overview of Scripture to see how important this concept really is. First, in Genesis 17, 7, the covenant that God made with Abraham, whom Paul tells us is the father not just of the Jews, but of the Christian faith, involved a commitment not just to Abraham, but to his posterity. God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Though Abraham was saved by faith, God's covenant commitment was also to Abraham and Sarah's succeeding generations. A chapter later, we discover Abraham's responsibility in this covenant arrangement. God says about Abraham in Genesis 18:19, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. As the head of his family, it was Abraham's responsibility to lead his household to keep the way of the Lord. But Throughout Israel's history, this responsibility gets lost, forgotten, and ignored. After Abraham's descendants were delivered from 400 years of slavery in Egypt and completed 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites are ready to enter the promised land. Listen to these precise words of Moses, who reiterates this covenant responsibility of parents to pass on their spiritual heritage. 
Moses said, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. These words from Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 through 21, sounding pretty similar to Deuteronomy 6. Joshua then leads the Israelites into the promised land. It appears that Joshua did pass on his spiritual heritage. Living to be 110, he would have known his descendants to the fourth generation. He must have passed on his spiritual heritage because Scripture reports, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. But four generations from Joshua, the link was broken. We read, And there rose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers. Well, as Israel's history unfolds, the book of Judges reports what happened to God's covenant people when the fathers did not fulfill the responsibility given to Abraham as the head of the covenant family to, quote, command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, unquote. A familiar pattern began to emerge. The people would abandon the Lord, the God of their fathers. He would punish them by letting their enemies abuse them until they cried out to him. Then in mercy, God would send a deliverer like Deborah or Gideon or Jephthah or Samson. Each time the Lord delivered them, there was a superficial return to him, but not the turning of the hearts of the fathers toward the children to lead them to follow the Lord. Judges 2, 18 through 19 summarizes the pattern of the entire book of Judges at this time in Israel's history. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. Moving on to the monarchy, King David, a man after God's own heart, did recover and fulfill his responsibility, though it appears he also made plenty of mistakes with his adult children in parenting. But we do read from the words of Solomon this description of his dad. Proverbs 4, verses 3 through 6. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. We have a second example of David's commitment to this principle of passing on his spiritual heritage also. This instance when he is on his deathbed. 
he calls his son Solomon to his side and says, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commands, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Well, as you know, David's son Solomon began, well, humbling himself and asking unselfishly for wisdom. But in 1 Kings 11, verses 4 through 6, we read, When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. As punishment for his sin, most of Solomon's kingdom, the ten tribes are torn away by God from his son Rehoboam, leaving him only Judah. Judah plunges into idolatry and constantly experiences God's judgment through the oppression of its enemies, despite God sending prophets like Jeremiah to urge the people to return to their covenant obligations to keep God's moral law. King after king led Judah into evil, eventually leading to the Babylonian captivity. It appears that even the one righteous king, Josiah, did not succeed in turning his son's heart towards his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their heritage of faith and covenant obedience. We read that Josiah's son, Jehoiaz, quote, did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then when he was replaced by one of Josiah's other sons, Jehoiakim, he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. It appears that even godly Josiah failed to build into the next generation. Well, having established the principle with Abraham that a covenant father was to command his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord, Israel's history reveals this stark fact. Obedience to this fatherhood calling was very rare. The fathers did not turn their hearts and attention to influencing and training their children to follow God's ways. This failure resulted in the children's hearts not turning toward their spiritual heritage, embracing their forefathers' belief and obedience to the covenant. But the Old Testament ends on a note of hope. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will succeed where all the other prophets failed. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. From Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6. 400 years later, Jesus tells us it is John the Baptist who fulfills this promise. He is the Elijah spoken of by Malachi. The failure of the covenant fathers in Israel to command their children and the household after them to keep the way of the Lord will be replaced in the coming Messianic kingdom where the Holy Spirit is poured out by fathers' hearts turned toward their children, embracing their covenant calling to lead and guide their children into covenant faith and obedience. In short, The hearts of the fathers turning to the children refers to the dads embracing their call to pass on a spiritual heritage to their children. The hearts of the children turning to the fathers refers to the children embracing that godly heritage as their own. In other words, the story of Abraham's descendants 
the fathers of the covenant families failing to pass on their spiritual heritage to their children after them will one day end. A new era, the dawning of the kingdom of heaven, was still 400 years away, but it would begin with a prophet like Elijah who would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. That is, cause the fathers to lead their children to have a heart of covenant obedience and turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. That is, cause the children to accept and embrace the spiritual heritage that belonged to them. This major reorientation of the fathers of God's covenant people back to leading their children to a heart-driven embracing of their spiritual heritage was the starting point for the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. Only the coming Messiah could empower his followers to recover this vital responsibility in God's kingdom, building a godly legacy. No wonder Jonathan Edwards devoted one hour a day with his kids, guiding them into biblical truth. Edwards understood that membership in Christ's kingdom for fathers meant embracing this calling to pass on our spiritual heritage to the rising generation. And in Christ, we have the power to make this commitment. Why not ask him right now to give you the determination you need to pass on your spiritual heritage, whatever that looks like for you? In September's series, we're going to outline a plan to do this very thing, identify the destructive worldviews impacting our culture, and talk about how to guide the rising generation into the wisdom they need to refute those false ideas winsomely. So what does this teaching about the importance of passing on our spiritual heritage mean for us today? First, for guys without kids, the best time to plant a tree is 25 years ago. One of the greatest ways to invest in a fruitful spiritual heritage is to invest in daily obedience to God's word. To Joshua, remember, God had said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And remember what a fruitful legacy Joshua left behind for generation after generation. Second, another great way to invest in your eternal legacy and your descendants' lives even before you get married and have kids is to learn to abhor evil. Romans 12, 9 gives us that command. But one of the reasons to train ourselves to hate sin and to love righteousness is the cost or benefit of our actions to our future descendants. Again, going back to Exodus 20, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Our walk with Christ does impact our kids, and for that matter, their kids. Well, what about guys with kids at home? First, invest time with them one-on-one. Jesus appointed the twelve so that they might be with him. Our spiritual heritage is about influence, and that requires spending time. Second, seek to understand them. Ask questions. What's going on in their world of experiences, feelings, and ideas? Jesus became flesh to enter our world, which was just an ultimate expression of wanting to experience what is going on in our lives. 
And growing out of that, number three is empathize with them. Jesus, our high priest, sympathizes with our weaknesses. And that's really foundational in in getting our kids to follow us. And then fourth, give them constant affirmation. And Paul wrote to the believers at Thessalonica, you know how like a father with his children, we encouraged you. Then fifth, fill their emotional tank with affection. Jesus rebuked his disciples for thinking that giving his affection to children around him was unimportant. Now, it is important. And then finally, teach them the wisdom of God. Now, that's a tall order, but stay tuned for our upcoming September series just after three-week series in August. In September, our series is going to be protecting our families from destructive cultural worldviews, which is going to uh, put together a a pattern and a structure for passing on some biblical truth to our kids that's specific to some of the issues that are shaping them today. What about grandfathers and great-grandfathers? Number one, recognize that loving our grandchildren well is a grace-filled way to still build our heritage, no matter how much we may have failed as a father. Number two, take the initiative to do special things with them. You've been taking them out for an ice cream cone. A grandpa date sends the message that they're important, that they matter, that you love them. And then similarly to parents, make a list of biblical truths your grandchildren need to internalize. Remember, Abraham was commanded to teach his whole household the way of the Lord, not just his immediate children. And once again, stay tuned for our September series, Protecting Our Families from Destructive Cultural Worldviews. In closing our time together, I want you to know that I realize that many of us have children who are not walking with the Lord. Only Jesus does hearts. You know, dads can't change the hearts of our kids. And yet, I believe Jesus would have us be encouraged this day and not disheartened to keep praying for him to draw our kids to the Lord and to know the significance we can have in that process. God has his own timetable, and our prayers matter. In the meantime, let's cling to this promise from Psalm 112. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments, His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. To summarize this episode, few Christian men have given much thought to their fathering legacy, to building our spiritual heritage into the descendants that we leave behind. Yet God's covenant of grace made with Abraham and all of us who follow in his footsteps as believers was always to be a God to you and to your offspring after you. Astonishingly, most Israelite fathers failed to pass on their spiritual heritage effectively to their children, even though God established that pattern for all believing fathers with Abraham. The good news, however, is that the Messiah came because God's covenant people could not keep their covenant responsibilities in their own strength. Jesus has come to turn the hearts of fathers to impact their children and turn the hearts of the children to embrace their spiritual heritage. Jesus can empower us to recover this vital responsibility in God's kingdom of building a godly legacy. Indeed, we must ask him for help to accomplish this vital responsibility. For further prayerful thought, number one, which aspect of Israelite father's failure 
to pass on their spiritual heritage to their children most stood out to you. See your show notes for additional questions. Next week, we begin a new series, Five Disciplines That Shape a Godly Life. A wise person once said, We determine our disciplines, then our disciplines shape our lives. Heading back into the fall schedule is a great time to consider which of these practices strengthens our spiritual muscle and which ones maximize our spiritual potential. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forzingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to let other Christian men know about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by equipping them and inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.